right, everybody, welcome to SoDoc It's Cancer, a podcast to understand cancer, how it happens, how it's treated, how we arrive at a diagnosis and at a prognosis, cancer's impact upon a person's quality of life, and how to move forward in life after a cancer diagnosis. The show airs monthly, and we welcome your engagement and feedback. Today, we have Michael Reardon. Hey. And we also are excited and proud to present uh, Charlie Reinhardt, MD, a, uh, a urologist who is going to talk to us about bladder cancer. Welcome to the Welcome show, Charlie. Charlie. Hey, thanks, guys. The opinions and ideas expressed in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not meant to drive specific clinical decisions. For that, you will need to be seen by your physician and receive an individualized approach to whatever your diagnosis might be. All right, Charlie. Hey, do us a favor and just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you went to school, how you got interested in medicine. Sure. So I, I hail from a, a small town um, called Winter Garden. It's about 25 miles west of Orlando, Florida. Um, I grew up there, uh, ended up leaving the state of Florida uh, to pursue my undergrad degree at Georgetown University um, in DC. Uh, at the time it was, um, it was, I was doing a, a Naval and Marine ROTC program. Um, at the time it was 2001, I decided that I was going to, uh, go join the Marine Corps. So after, uh, after my time at Georgetown, I spent four to five years in the Marine Corps. Um, amidst that, I, I kind of hadn't gotten the itch for, uh, to go into medicine. So. I made a transition after the Marine Corps uh, uh, over to medicine, which took me to New York, where my wife is from, and did my medical studies at Columbia um, University in New York. Um, finished that, and then I was back on the West Coast uh, at in San Diego with the Navy, this time uh, doing my urology residency. So I did, did urology residency uh, with a a slight break to go spend some more time as a medical general medical practitioner with the Marines. Um, and then just finished, uh, residency. And now I'm, uh, the urologist up at the, um, the country's only federal healthcare center. So it's the, uh, captain James, a level federal healthcare center in North Chicago, uh, where I'm practicing urology. Outstanding. Outstanding. Now your wife was pretty thrilled when you decided to go to med school. Is that right? Uh, she was excited. I'm not sure there's, you know, there's positive and negative excitement. Um, I'm she, not sure on the spectrum of excitement some, where she was, but yeah, she had some she, other ideas for you, but you're like, Nope, hon, it's gotta be this. Yeah. Yeah. Her, she, I, and there were some tears involved and, and I think some screaming and pleading of why, why can't you just go to uh, law or business school? But Why couldn't you go? I mean, those are more sensible. <laughs> I don't do things sensibly. Yeah, yeah. That's that. yeah. I like Clearly. to take the hard route. Good. Now, one other person here uh, actually enlisted in the Marine Corps. I'm not going to say many any names. Ago, yes. in yeah. The Marine How Corps Reserve. Just, just to be clear, it was the Marine Corps Reserve back in the mid to, mid to late 80s. You had the haircut. You went through boot camp. I did. Where you excelled, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> I never asked. So, <laughs> who knows? But, yeah, Semper Fi, Charlie. Yeah. yeah. When you were GMO with the uh, Marines, where'd you go? So, I... And, and I should say, when I was with the Marine Corps, I did, I did three deployments, but two of them were on ship. Uh, which is kind of what drove me to, to leave uh, yeah, and, yeah. and pursue other things. So I, and when I got out, I said, I'm, despite going to the Navy, I said I was not going to get back on ship. Uh, but when they sent me with the Marines, uh, uh, within about six months of being with them, I was back on ship for another eight months. <laughs> <laughs> Good plan. Good plan. Yeah. I know, with the Marines, you end up being out to sea more than the sailors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, right. Well, all right. Well, I can see why you would uh, depart that to go be a urologist and, and, and study bladder cancer. Now, what brought you into urology specifically? You're in med school. You've got every option. You can pick something sensible. And you're like, no, I want to be a surgical subspecialist. 
What went wrong in that I, math? I mean, I tell everybody that it was a childhood dream of mine to be a urologist. You know, <laughs> it's it's something about when you're drawing pics on your, uh, you know, in middle in middle school when we have to be, you know, kind of messing around and, and drawing pictures on your buddy's notebook. Yeah, uh, it's, it was a budding sign that that someday I'd be a urologist. This dude is going to be a urologist. Someday. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's a great specialty. Uh, there's there's a there's a great mix of both, you know, patient, you know, patients from from young to old. Uh, there's a lot of different things procedural wise. We do a vast, you know, diverse types of procedures from open, you know, big open procedures where we're taking out kidneys to a lot of in, minimally invasive, uh, you know, endoscopic stuff where we're up with cameras taking out kidney stones. So you know, I just enjoy the the breadth of it. Outstanding. Outstanding. So let's, uh, let's get on to today's subject, bladder cancer. Now, if I can introduce it just a little bit, it is the ninth most common cancer on the planet. About 80,000 cases a year in the U S with 17,000 deaths. In Europe, about 118,000 cases and 52,000 deaths. Worldwide, it's 437,000 cases and 186,000 deaths. That's as of 2016. All right, so that's just framing the argument. But uh, uh, Mike, what do you what what do you think? What should we know about bladder cancer? Uh, I know absolutely nothing about bladder cancer, so <laughs> let's learn a lot. Um, from what you just said, though, it sounds like at least in the U.S., that's a, a one in five uh, fatality rate. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And I think it takes its time doing it, too. It's, you know, lung cancer and pancreatic cancer tend to move very rapidly. Bladder cancer, correct me if I'm wrong, Charlie, that that is a slower time course. Yeah, it's... Uh, it... You know, with bladder cancer, I guess you can cut a lot, a lot of different answers. Um, it really depends on the stage of the cancer and kind of depends on, you know, both the stage and how aggressive the cancer cells are. So yeah, sometimes it can, sometimes it can actually just be low grade and recurrent and, you know, something that doesn't actually end up progressing to, to, to late stage, or sometimes it can be, you know, something that's high grade and it quickly progresses to, to kind of that end stage. Are there any um, indicators for whether it's going to be aggressive or a little more slow acting? Is that something that you can kind of predict or is it just sort of the luck of the draw? So there's, you know, there is definitely, um, there's, there's grading scale. So, you know, I guess if we, if we back up and kind of talk about, you know, how, how does someone end up getting diagnosed with bladder cancer, that's probably, will lead us uh, into to how yeah, we determine yeah. what that what that right. grade is. Um, but yeah, so the, the vast majority of bladder cancers uh, are diagnosed um, after someone presents with blood in their urine. That's usually the most common uh, reason for, for pursuing a workup um, that ends up leading to a diagnosis of bladder cancer. So uh, blood in the urine, and that, that blood in the urine um, can be visible blood that the patient can see, and we call that gross hematuria. Or it can be microscopic hematuria, where they actually don't see blood, but they get a urine test, um, you know, usually for some other reason, they identify some red blood cells in the urine, and it prompts them to be sent to a urologist uh, for a workup. All right, they so that... Have, uh... Oh, go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, one of the things that we've been bumping into it every time we do one of these podcasts is how important it is to go and have that annual physical. Um, cause basically what you're saying is, yeah, I, if I see blood in my urine, I, I, I'll go to the doctor right away, but I only go to the doctor once a year, but they can see if I have blood in my urine, even when I can't, if they're running, um, that they're, they're, if they're doing the, the uh, labs on, on a urine uh, sample that I have to give. Right. Correct. They will if you do have blood in the urine. They, they likely will pick that up on a urine test. Now, now again, there's some there's some controversy, and it's you know I don't as far as what the standard practice for lab tests, annual lab tests, um, and, and your analysis is not necessarily one that's always 
that's always done every year you go to, to the doctor. Um, there's various reasons you get a urinalysis. Um, but you know, as far as your annual screening, it's, it's not always one that they're, they're going to, they're going to get. So something we should push for maybe? Well, you can make that argument, um, that, uh, you, you could, and I, I would probably say, you know, from my standpoint, probably if you're high risk for bladder cancer, um, for the most, most people that are not, not at any high risk, you know, the problem with doing too many, too many urinalysis is you're going to pick up red blood cells for many other things. And it's going to lead to a lot of unnecessary kind of trips to the urologist. Um, so that, and that, that should, to be clear, um, just cause you have blood in your urine does not mean you have bladder cancer. There's many different reasons, uh, that someone might have blood in the urine, both gross hematuria, so visible blood or microscopic hematuria. Bladder cancer is probably, you know, fourth or fifth on the list. Um, but because it typically has the, the most consequential, you know, that, that's what prompts that workout. Well, and, you know, to take a step back, just to kind of describe the urinary system. So, you know, you have somewhere between four and a half and a five and a half liters of blood in your, in your, in your veins and your heart's pumping. Can we talk about either. pints, Paul? Can we talk about pints, please? I don't know how many pints that is. Yeah. But is anyway, like 10? Uh, 15. 15 pints, we'll say. And, and your heart's pumping away, knocking that stuff through your whole system. About 25% of your heart's output will go to your two kidneys. So your kidneys are these filters, and they're filtering out impurities in your blood. Now, m- almost all of that blood the kidneys give right back to the system, but there's this uh, little filtrate that comes out in the form of urine. And you got a kidney on your left side and a kidney on your right side, typically, and they have a little tube. The kidneys are high up in your back. If you think about where a kidney punch is, it's back up there. And then that little tube drains it down to your bladder, which is down low, right behind your pubic bone, where it collects and hangs out until it is a socially appropriate time for you to relieve your bladder. And then boom, there you go. So what we're talking about is a cancer of that bladder. Um, and it's, it's a growth, a malignant growth, typically starts within the lining the inner lining of that bag. So that's just sort of framing the overall whole thing. How'd I do? That was great. That was My, great. I don't know about your pint, your pint measuring, but uh, the rest of it was probably. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I just kind of threw that one out there. They didn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, I'm, I'm worried, Paul. What, what medical school did you go to again? <laughs> yeah. I actually didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I just said I did. You know, this whole thing has been... So, Dr. Charlie. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Charlie. By, went to... As long as we're talking about uh, bladder cancer. Now, the way Paul set that up, it, it sounds like it's actually just a simple... You know, the bladder is just a very simple little container. So, how is this causing me potentially life-threatening problems? Yeah, so it's... Unfortunately, it's... It's not the it's not the local issue with the bladder. It's it's when the it's it's when the cancer spreads beyond the bladder that causes that causes the majority of kind of the fatal issues for sure. But yeah, so yeah, I can take as far as kind of stepping back to to the diagnosis. We talk about blood in the urine, and, and there's a number of reasons you got blood in the urine. So whether it's there's kidney stones, infection, for most. For men, after you know, certainly as they get older, the prostate gets larger, and as the prostate grows, it uh, can be prone to bleeding, and that that's a, probably the most frequent cause of blood in the urine for older men. Um, the kidneys, as, as as Dr. Paul was alluding to, the kidneys filter out the blood. If there's some problem with the kind of the way the kidneys are functioning, filtering, they can shed red blood cells into the urine, and so you can get you can get blood in the urine um, uh, kind of that way. And so, yeah, so when someone, you know, when someone either has blood in the urine um, or 
you know, sees blood in the urine or it's picked up on a urinalysis, they're referred to a urologist. And, um, and so the workup, we call it a hematuria workup. So the workup for, you know, blood in the urine, um, that's what hematuria means, um, consists of, of really two different things. So the first thing is some type of imaging of the, and it's usually imaging of what we call the upper tract. So as Paul, as Paul was describing that urinary tract, the kidneys, he had mentioned these things called tubes. These tubes are, are called ureters. So the kidneys make urine, the urine uh, collects um, in the collecting system of the kidney, and then it comes down to the ureters into the bladder, plugs into the bladder uh, where it's stored um, until we're ready to urinate. Um, so we have to get some type of imaging because to be, we call it, bladder, it is bladder cancer, but bladder cancer um, is cancer of the, the cells that line the bladder. Those same cells line the ureter and they line the collecting system of the kidney. And any any tumor of any one of those areas can cause blood in the urine. So we'll get imaging. Usually that's in the form of a CT scan. It could be in the form of an ultrasound. And then we'll take do what's called a cystoscopy. Every man's worst nightmare when they come to the urologist, but really not that bad. We're, we'll, we'll do a camera. Um, up into the bladder and take a look around because the imaging will show us kind of things in the up, upper tracks, but it's really not not 100% diagnostic for what's going on in the bladder. So we have to take a look at the bladder with our own eyes. You just said something interesting that this is uh, every man's uh, worst nightmare. Um, but at the same time, women have kidneys and bladders and ureters. Uh, is, this, is this predominantly a, a male uh, illness or is it, is it equally distributed? No, it's, it, so I think we do see a little more bladder cancer in men than in women, but, um, that was the note that the point of camera, most men are, are, are a little bit worried about getting the camera into the urethra. If you can imagine that, maybe you don't have to, but, uh, women typically to- tolerate it a little better than men do. Ah, okay. But it, yeah, it, it just, I was just curious if that would be. Um, like kind of a gender uh, bias for the disease, but it's not. No, I, I, I would say it's probably a little more prevalent in men, but it's, but you know, everybody gets the workout, but you know, men are, men are a little, we do see a little bit of men and men are, they're kind of criteria, they're a little bit higher risk uh, than women, but. Um, it, could that be because there's a tendency of men also to, to not, uh, for the lack of a better way of saying it, they, less frequently visiting the doctor, less taking care of themselves medically than, than women tend to do. Like if it could, I think it's probably also related to smoking habits. Smoking is, is the number one, uh, kind of linked cause to bladder cancer. You know, probably the prevalence men smoke more than women. I think it's probably just, I think we see that in lung cancer too. Outcomes are not different, but, but men, you know, I think we see more lung cancer in men because of that reason. If Paul, what do you think? Is that? Yeah, I think I think that's probably a hundred percent of the difference, or somewhere close. the The strongest risk factor, so environmental exposures, are supposedly most of the cases of bladder cancer, and of that, the chemicals are cigarette chemicals. There's at least sixty known carcinogens in the cigarette smoke and it gets into your bloodstream obviously that's why you smoke it it enters your lungs your lungs are incredibly well perfused the chemicals get into the blood right away they get filtered through the kidneys and then they they wait to get out in your bladder so they're just hanging around in the bladder until you pee uh, with a lot of contact time against the lining So that explains that. Other kind of chemical carcinogens are occupational. And there's a variety, maybe metal workers, painters, rubber industry, leather, textile, electrical, miners, cement, you know, a variety of things, industrial chemicals, where somehow those chemicals get into your bloodstream as well. And then they're hanging out and... waiting in the bladder until you pee. So a lot more contact time with it. But of the two, I think smoking is, is much more of a problem than 
exposures to other chemicals, just from what background reading I had done. Yeah, I would agree. I'd agree. In fact, it's, you know, it's part of it. When we, when we see somebody that comes in for hematuria for a workup, we will risk stratify them into kind of low risk, moderate risk, high risk. And some of that's based on age of the patient. Some of that's based on how much blood was seen in the urine. Uh, but a history of smoking puts them, you know, kind of elevates their risk um, for sure. If they have a history of smoking, uh, we're going to be more, more apt to be, you know, kind of be more aggressive with the, the workup. So let's say someone comes in and let's just make them moderate to high risk. They smoke a pack a day for 30 years or 40 years. They're high risk. <laughs> All right. High risk. All right. You put them in the high risk category. All right. And, and the first thing you're going to do, they, they, their primary care physician sent them to you because they had blood in the urine or maybe some voiding symptoms. And then you're going to do a cystoscopy and a CT scan. Correct. Yeah. What's a cystoscopy? So cystoscopy is that dreaded thing that I uh, had alluded to earlier. So that's, that's fancy term for small camera into the bladder. Okay. I got to keep Paul honest. He's always trying to, you know, we went to high school together. He's always trying to beat down the fact that I beat him on an honor roll every semester. Every semester. Every semester. (laughs) See? (laughs) Well, if I tell patients we're going to, if I I tell patients we're going to do a cystoscopy and that'll get them to come back at least. You know, if I tell oh. them we're, we're taking a small camera and, and stick it up, up your pee, you know, the tube you pee out of, they yeah. might not come back. Yeah. Fair enough. So Cystoscopy it is. So you put the, the little camera through the urethra into the bladder and you're looking around at the bladder and you see this friable mass on the wall and you're like, that's probably going to be a tumor. So how do you how do you deal with it then? What happens at that point? All right, I have to stop you again, Paul. Friable mass. Ah, my apologies. So the inner lining of the bladder is going to be nice and smooth and perfect. But if if on that lining is this lump and it's looking like it, you know, you tap it and it starts to bleed or, you know, it looks very fragile and it's this, this, kind of mass that's ruining the otherwise perfect lining of your bladder. That's what I'm thinking of as a friable mass. Okay. Cause friable through me. No sorry. Doubt. Sorry. Yeah. That's the term we use a lot. We throw that around. It just means it's really delicate. And if you touch it, it will bleed. Okay. Then not like my Sunday breakfast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to eat. Uh, yeah. So if someone has, any time, if they have a, a bladder mass or just some irregular tissue, we're not really sure if it is, you know, really the next thing to do is we've got to biopsy it somehow, right? That's, that's usually the next step for any, any time you, you find something abnormal in the bodies, let's figure out what it is. Now, I mean, most of the time looking at it, I can tell, you know, that it's, it's a bladder cancer and the vast majority of bladder cancers are, are of a certain type, these urothelial cell uh, which line the bladder, um, but we got to, we got to biopsy it. Um, and so we'll set them up. They won't, you know, we have to do it under anesthesia, but we'll set them up uh, for what's called a trans urethral resection of bladder tumor, a turbot as we kind of call it. Um, but that's where we're going to go in and, and essentially shave that mass down from within the bat within inside the bladder. Um, so we can both kind of get a diagnosis of what it is and also will help us stage kind of the depth of invasion. Now that's pretty slick. It's not like they have to make an incision through your abdomen and go down to the bladder and open up the bladder and then go after it. They just through the tube you pee out of, they put in these slender little cameras with instruments and they're able to shave it off that way. They don't have to open you up at all. Correct. Yeah. We try not to, we try to not open up anyone uh, for things that we wouldn't have to. So yes, it's a cystoscope. It's a little bit bigger than the one uh, that we use in clinics. So that's why we have to go to the OR for that for in a number of reasons. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll 
we'll go in the bladder, we'll shave it kind of down layer by layer. These things, as, as Paul said, they're friable, but they have, they've kind of developed their own blood supply. And then, so they're, they can bleed a lot. So we kind of have to take it by layer by layer, but we'll, we'll shave it down and then we'll try to get essentially down to what appears to be the base of the bladder wall, you know, kind of maybe not healthy tissue, but down to the place of the bladder, all the muscle. And once we do that, we, you know, that's, well, that's all we do in that case. And we send that, that gets, the tissue gets sent to pathology and the pathologist will then, they'll do a couple things. They'll look at kind of the grade. You know, start, first of all, they're going to look and say, oh, this is, is this a malignant? Is this cancer or is it something else? Um, most of the time, like if we're in doing this, uh, it's, it's probably cancer. And um, they'll tell us whether it's, they'll grade it out in terms of high grade, low grade. And then you know, there's a couple other kind of grading type uh, terms they'll use, but you know, essentially high grade, low grade, and then the depth of the invasion. So Charlie, what does that mean if it's high grade or low grade? So that's, that's kind of a, a term that pathologists use, um, you know, and it kind of tells us a little bit about how likely that cancer, I think, is to spread in terms of how aggressive the cells are. You know, cancers can be, you know, irregular, you know, how irregular and how prone to kind of uncontrolled growth. You know, I was, what would you say, Paul? That's, it's, it's similar in other oncologic fashions. How would you describe high grade, low grade? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're actually, I think next month going to be talking about what is cancer just as a general subject and we'll get into a deeper dive on it then. But in general, you have your normal cells and when you look at them with a microscope or any other modality, they have a nice regular pattern to them. You know, it's like you're looking at uh, anything with a normal, a regular pattern. If you're looking at flagstones or bricks in a wall or uh, a fabric with a, a repeating pattern on it and everything looks the same and it looks nice and regular, then the more and more and more deviated from that regularity that it looks, the higher the grade the tumor is. So if it's a low-grade tumor, it looks pretty normal. There's some changes. You know, we have details that we discuss, such as the nuclei and their shape and their arrangement. But for the most part, they don't look too far removed from what you typically see. But if it's completely chaotic and totally uh, out of bounds, then that that's a higher grade tumor. And you have concerns that the, the inner expression of each of those cells is more distorted from normal. And that typically correlates with increased aggressiveness. Does that make sense? Sure. So Thank you. a low-grade tumor is pretty close to normal, and a high-grade tumor is far farther away. And we worry more about the high-grade tumor's propensity to invade locally and to invade and to go away distantly. Okay. That, yeah, that, that definitely does make sense. All right, sweet. So you get in there, Charlie. You see this thing with your eyeballs. You're like, hey, that doesn't look good. I'm going to shave it down. You, you shave it down to what's pretty normal. You send that to the pathologist. They look at it and they say, that doesn't look good. And whether it's low grade or high grade, what do you do next? So, um, so as I was kind of mentioning, there's, they're looking at two, the two things, the grade of it, and they look at the depth of invasion. And bladder cancer is primarily kind of grouped into two categories. One category is called muscle invasive, where it invades the muscle of the bladder. The bladder is ultimately a muscle. Um, uh, it's called the detrusor muscle. So whether it invades the muscle or whether it's non-muscle invasive, meaning it, you know it, that tumor has not invaded the muscle, and that really kind of will guide therapy. It's very we have these you know kind of two very distinct uh, 
kind of treatments for non-muscle invasive bladder cancer versus muscle invasive bladder cancer. So that's kind of the one, the first thing we're, as a urologist, we're looking from the pathologist to tell us is whether or not that invades, that tumor invades the muscle. Because um, if it does invade the muscle, it's going to send them down a completely different treatment pathway than if it's non-muscle invasive. And then if it's non-muscle invasive and, and a low-grade tumors do not invade the muscle. So, you know, if it's a low, if it's non-muscle invasive bladder cancer, then we're looking at whether it's low-grade, high-grade, um, and kind of that will, that will kind of determine how the treatment uh, is, is dealt with in that sense. So if it's limited to the lining of the bladder, that would generally be considered low grade. And as the, the kind of tumor can get anchored in and, and continue on through the lining to the muscle wall, that's when it becomes kind of more dangerous and more uh, higher grade. That's correct. So in some sense, so low, so high grade muscle doesn't necessarily mean that it's invaded the bladder wall. You can have non-muscle invasive high grade, uh, but that has a, a more likelihood of becoming muscle invasive if it's high grade, you know, so I guess you could, you could look at it this way. If you find it early enough, it could be high grade, but it has not invaded the muscle wall, but it's, but it might head that way if we don't, you know, we don't deal with it. Um, versus those that have already invaded the muscle wall and those, those are going to be high grade. They, but you know, we've caught them by the time they've, uh, they've already invaded into the muscle. Right. So I'm, I'm um, seeing a parallel here when we, we talked about, um, skin cancer where they were talking about there's some that can sort of spread on the skin and there's some that kind of go deep into the skin. And the ones that they really worry about more are the ones that go deep into the skin. It sounds like it's almost the same thing. It's going deep through the lining into the um, uh, muscle a little faster. Uh, and so that's generally where the, the that aggressive nature kind of has you concerned. Sort of the same process. Yeah, no, I, that's, it's, I would say... It, it's a good kind of a good comparison. Um, yeah. So low grade, so non-muscle invasive bladder cancer, if it's non-muscle invasive, the, the reason that's kind of different is that uh, actually, let, if it's muscle invasive bladder cancer, the treatment, if, if the person can sustain it is to have the bladder removed. Okay. So that's a pretty, which is a pretty drastic uh, measure. Non-muscle invasive bladder cancer. Um, there are, a number of treatment options, treatment steps um, that we will undertake um, that are bladder sparing. Um, and so then again, that's kind of why we look for that non-muscle invasive versus muscle invasive. Now, if, a, if it's non-muscle invasive, that's, that is the majority of bladder tumors that we find are non-muscle invasive. Um, and so if it's non-muscle invasive, then we, we will risk stratify these into low risk, intermediate risk and high risk based on some of the kind of the features of the cancer that the pathologist has shown us and on some of the kind of the history of the patient and how big the tumor was and, and how many tumors there were. So we will risk try it to low, intermediate and high risk. So now with, if I'm, go ahead, Paul. Oh, okay. With bladder tumors, is it, you'll find just one or is it a, a field effect where there, if you find one, there might be others? So you, it is often we'll find one, um, but you can find one, you can find more, you know, and, and if, if it's, if you find multifocal, meaning that there's more than one, that's kind of the term we use for, you know, more than one tumor multifocal, um, that puts it in a little bit higher risk category, um, than if you find a single tumor. What's more common? Is it more common just to find the one? And deal with it's that. more common to find just the one, usually, but but it's you know I, we see them all. You know we see patients that will come in with with you know maybe one primary one and a couple small small tumors, you know, kind of satellite tumors we call them, just around, you know next to them. So if I uh, I'm putting up my air quotes here, I'm lucky, and I just have the uh, low grade, and I'm still on the the bladder lining. My, my tumor is there. What's the treatment for me? And, and what does that look like in, in terms of uh, going in, recovering? You know, am I, is this kind of relatively quick and easy? Um, or is this something that I'm going to be, you know, worrying about for months and months and years? Or like, yeah. how does it, how does it happen? Right. So let's go, yeah, let's start at the lowest. You know, what's the best 
best case scenario. So the best case scenario um, for someone is if they have, if you, you go in, you have a single lesion. So we resect that, we send it to the pathologist and they say, okay, it's, it's a low grade um, tumor, uh, non-muscle invasive. Um, and so you have a, a so you say you have one, a single low grade non-muscle invasive tumor. And so that would be, could put you in the low risk category. And so if we have resected that entire, you know, we, we think we reset, had a good resection uh, during that initial procedure, um, that might be the end of it from a, for, I guess, from a cancer standpoint. Now there's surveillance that, that is required for all of these, but that might be, that might be your only treatment that you're going to require. Um, all right. So, so the, the, basically the biopsy you took, a, you, and by resection, right? You, you mean you just cut everything out during the biopsy? Correct. Correct. Okay. And so if that happens, I'm, I'm pretty much good. And you just sort of keep an eye on, on future urinalysis tests and things like that. So it's, it's a little more involved than that. So, and, and probably one of the things that with bladder cancer, um, it, despite it being, uh, some, it's, it's a somewhat of a rare cancer in terms of the kind of list, I think Paul said the ninth most common, um, for urologists, um, it's probably the third, you know, we see much more prostate cancer, you know, probably see more kidney cancer, but bladder cancer is the, is, is a very kind of intensive surveillance, um, kind of regimen and process. So I, you know, I, would seen somewhere that probably lifetime treatment of bladder cancer is, is the most expensive cancer for lifetime treatment of patients because wow. it's not just, you remove it. But then there's a there's there's a long term surveillance. So surveillance um, for low grade, you know, for, if, it depends on the grade, but will involve repeat cystoscopies, repeat imaging. Um, we can run some urine, what's called cytology tests, where we we send the urine um, to the lab, they spin it down, and then the pathologist will look into the microscope to see if there's any cancer cells. Uh, so a combination of those kind of things, and the more the, the higher the, the higher the risk category you fall in, the more frequent you're doing these things. So this sounds a little bit like uh, like the colonoscopy that you know once I hit 50, I had to go in and, and, and have done. Why am I not at 50 or 60 or 70 or whatever the age category be? Is there not a, a predetermined sort of test that says, hey, you're at that age, you're at that kind of risk just by age alone, um, you should have a cystoscopy. I said that. I, it's, I think it's just because bladder cancer is not as common. Um, it's not as common. Is that a good idea though? Or, or am I just, you know, well, it, it's a good idea. And again, I think, um, another deep dive we could do, we could do a whole episode on screening, but for screening exams, in order to make it, they have to be practical and reliable and valid. And in order for them to be practical, you need a prevalence within the population that's high enough to merit a screening test because every test is going to have some bad things that can happen because of the test. Uh, gotcha. And there could also be error. And so even something as simple as a chest X-ray screening for lung cancer, it can send you down the path of chasing down needless things and, and then we're going to do a biopsy, and now their lung collapsed, and oh, it was all for nothing anyway. That also happens all the time with mammography and, and breast cancer. If you're going to catch a breast cancer early, you start doing mammograms when they're 40. But the vast majority of things that you find aren't breast cancer. So you're putting these young women through all this stress and money and sometimes even side effects of your treatment, and it's not even breast cancer. So okay. with the bladder cancer, it's so rare that yeah. sticking a, a cystoscope up everybody, that's a lot of trouble. Uh, it doesn't, you won't yield enough. Okay. Yeah. So in, and in that's, I, mean, it's, I think that's, yeah, I think that's, you know, it's the cystoscopies, but it's also the, you know, kind of the, um, what happens next. Cause we will, some things look very much like, bladder cancer, you get in and it's no doubt a bladder cancer. And then sometimes we do cystoscopies on, on men and women that there's just a little bit of irregularity to the tissue. And that kind of prompts us to take them to the operating room. They're going to anesthesia. 
to do a biopsy and it, it might just be inflammation. Um, you know, they had an infection or something that caused the tissue to look a little bit irregular. Um, and so we've kind of, we accept that we're going to do some, we're going to have some negative biopsies in the, in the pursuit of finding the cancer. But if you start sending everybody cystoscopies, those negative biopsies are going to go, you know, way up. Um, and so we'll, you know, the, the exposure to anesthesia and trips to the operating room, that kind of stuff. Okay. And it's just not as prevalent as colon cancer. So that's why. Yeah. Right. Not do it. Okay. Right. Right. So cancers, you know, do two major things. They invade locally and they metastasize distantly. So where your bladder is sitting right down low in your pelvis, if it invades locally, Charlie, what does that look like? So it, local invasion typically, I mean, it can invade into the, the surrounding organs. So for men, it can invade into the prostate, invade into the pelvic sidewall. Um, then, you know, that's kind of the time, you know, for women, you can, you can invade into the interior vaginal wall, you know, different kind of just look around you. That's typically what we find with kind of local invasion. And then does it frequently go to the lymph nodes in the region or does it go to other organs? When it metastasizes, where does it like to go? It typically, when it, when it metastasizes, typically first it goes to um, the regional lymph nodes. Like, um, so your pelvic lymph nodes are kind of where it, it will go to first. Um, and that's so when we, do, when we do a surgery to remove the bladder for bladder cancer, we will also take out the pelvic lymph nodes along with them. Um, and that's both, you know, that's both for some treatment effect, but probably also di diagnostic and prognostic effect. Because we can, if it's spread to the lymph nodes, we know it's it's already left the bladder. And, you know, therefore it's going to treat it, you know, probably send us down to some systemic treatment as well. But bladder cancer doesn't respond too well to chemotherapy, does it? Um. So I don't, it, I don't it's, know, but yeah, it, it will respond somewhat. I mean, it, but it's not, you know, as opposed to some other cancers that we treat, at least urologists, you know, some of the testicular cancers respond just incredibly well to chemotherapy, um, where it's almost a curative effect. Uh, you know, we don't have that same success with treating bladder cancer with chemotherapy. Um, but that is for metastatic, um, disease, or sometimes we'll give chemotherapy in the, what's called the neoadjuvant um, setting or the adjuvant setting. So after surgery to kind of wipe out any microscopic spread that might be there, um, we do use chemotherapy. All right. And do you use radiotherapy too, x-rays? Uh, radiotherapy, it has a limited role. Um, the, the, the Pretty much the only role for radiotherapy is um, so if, say a guy comes that we kind of mentioned that, um, if you have muscle invasive bladder cancer, the, the, almost they're always the recommendation. If you are healthy enough for surgery, um, the recommendation will be to remove the bladder. Um, some guy, some, some individuals, some patients are not healthy enough for surgery or they, they don't want to go through the, that surgery, which is a major surgery. And so we'll, we'll do what's called kind of bladder sparing. Um, and it's, it's also known as trimodal therapy. So the, the kind of the three arms of that therapy is a full resection, um, intravestial you know, endoscopic resection, like I've done before, like we've done to diagnose it plus chemotherapy plus radiotherapy. Um, and that's, that's, so that's a treatment option for, for muscle invasive bladder cancer, uh, for, for individuals that do want, want to or are not candidates to have their bladder removed. So if they have to, let's say they have muscle invasive and they have to remove the bladder, you have to remove the bladder. Mm -hmm. What do you do with the urine? Because you're making Yeah, I was just going to ask the same thing. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm, are there internal prosthetic devices? Uh, are these external prosthetic devices? I, I had an uncle who had like a, uh, some kind of bag. Uh, there was a test, you know, to, uh, uh, he's had to strap it onto his thigh or something like that. Is that what this was? Or is there a way to have like a, an internal fake yeah. 
plastic bladder. So yeah, so we have to we have to divert the urine somehow, right? So it was it was going into the bladder, and so we have to we either have to divert it somehow um, out of the body uh, through something else, or we have to kind of create a what's called a neobladder. Um, and so what what your your what your uncle said was probably just a catheter. We but he might have a cat just a catheter um, that was draining into a bag um, for. For bladder removal, um, the most common is way to kind of get that urine out is to create what we call as an ileal conduit. So ileum is part of the bowel, it's part of the small bowel. Um, Dr. Paul can tell you much more about the purpose of the ileum. Uh, for urologists, the purpose of the ileum is to, is to serve as, a, as, a, as kind of a source for bladder substitution. Um, so we'll, we'll take those ureters, those tubes that we saw you know, drain urine down from the kidneys and we'll remove, we'll take a sex, section of ileum, we'll kind of separate it from where it is in the small bowel, we'll replay the small bowel together so the bowel has continuity or, or it continues. And then we'll take that section that we uh, we separated and we'll plug the ureters in that and then we'll bring it out to the abdomen um, uh, to a ostomy, um, which um, then the urine will drain through that. Just into right. a, that into a bag that's that's then attached to the stomach that's taped to the stomach on the on, on the outside on the outside yeah right. so, so that's an ileocondit. now we can there's there's other ways so we can also take um, we could create what we call a neobladder I mentioned mentioned that so a neobladder is essentially where we are going to create a reservoir to collect the uh, urine that is going to be anatomically where the bladder was. Um, and so we'll use, you can use, you can use different segments of the bowel. You can use small bowel. You can use, you can use your parts of your large bowel. You, know, you can even use the stomach, parts of the stomach. There's different ways to create these, um, these different diversions. Um, but a neobladder will, will take, you know, say we'll use a long, much, it's a longer segment of small bowel and we'll create kind of a reservoir and, and we'll put it down in the pelvis where the bladder was. We'll connect it to the urethra. Um, so you have some of the same kind of steps of urinating where you're still urinating through your urethra, um, but it's, you, don't, you don't have the same urinary function because it's, it's not a muscle like the bladder was. It doesn't function the same way as storage and emptying, um, but it's for, for for patients that don't want to have, uh, you know, have some you know, bag on their stomach, it's a good option. Well, when you say that it's not a muscle, so the the bladder itself, you know, like I know when I when I have to go, right? I I, I feel mm -hmm. that, but the, and I and I will, for lack of a better, I'm not a doctor. It <laughs> like I will that that muscle open, but if you're replacing that with a uh, a, a you know, piece of the stomach or small intestine, do I lose yeah. that? So I, I, it, yeah, you lose that. Of... Yeah, you don't. It's the same. So you have to kind of do what we call valsal avoiding, or you kind of wear abdominal avoiding. Instead of instead of having a muscle where it squeezes down to push urine out, you're having to kind of squeeze your stomach and and relax to push push urine out. Um, so it's it's not nearly as effective as your natural form of of urinating. As simple as that darn bladder is, turns out to be pretty important. You know, it's it's nothing more than just a little muscle coated on both sides with the lining, the inner lining and the outer lining. But removing it and then trying to replace that function is an enormous problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it is it's you know from a urologic standpoint, a, a cystectomy. That's the name of the surgery. A cystectomy um, is one of Without a doubt, you know, if not not the most, one of the most major surgeries that uh, urologists will do, and patients, um, you know, it's it's not done lightly. Uh, those those patients, it's it's not an easy recovery. Um, it's it's certainly a huge change in quality of life um, for them, and that and that kind of brings me back to this muscle invasive versus non-muscle invasive because that's a that's a really a critical point in the whole diagnosis of bladder cancer is is how do we find you know let's, let's get these guys that are non-muscle invasive and, and what do we do, uh, to treat them to hopefully prevent progression 
uh, too muscle invasive um, disease. So I, I, I kind of didn't talk a lot about the not, you know, some of the treatment options for non-muscleness. We talked a little bit about if it's a low grade, you take it out and maybe you're done with some surveillance. But there are some treatments um, for the, that we use for intermediate and high risk um, non-muscle invasive bladder cancer. And interestingly enough, one of them, you know, probably the mainstay of treatment um, for non-muscle for non-muscle invasive bladder cancer is to inject medications into the bladder uh, periodically. And, and the main medication we use is actually BCG. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard of BCG. If you lived in South America, you would probably know what BCG is because you would you would have had the BCG shot. So BCG is um, it stands for Bacillus. C is Kamigurin. It's a French. It's a French term, but it's it's the vaccine for tuberculosis. We don't get it in the U.S. because we don't have you know nearly really don't have much tuberculosis at all. But in other parts of the world where it's more prevalent, they get the vaccine. Well, go figure. Somebody someone figure it out. If you put BCG in the bladder, it somehow treats uh creates a reaction and treats bladder cancer. That's How do they make that leap? Yeah. Yeah. What yeah, mad scientist put that? That's a good question. I don't know. You know, things that would be tough to get approved probably these days, but, but yeah, that's the mainstay, you know, for non-muscle isoplastic. There's a couple other chemotherapies that are used, but those are usually reserved for cases where the patient's refractory means that BCG has not worked. It's, it's recurred and after getting BCG, uh, but but most guys, if they, most guys, I say guys, but men and women um, who are diagnosed with intermediate or high risk bladder cancer, will put them through a, a regimen of BCG treatment where they will get, they'll come in and get a, they'll get this BCG put in the bladder. Um, they leave it in for two hours and then, and then urinate it out and they'll, they'll repeat that weekly for some periodicity, you know, depending on the, the, where the risk category where they fall in, it can be all, up to three years. Wow! So we, not weekly, not weekly for three years, but at, at, at given intervals, up to three years. And so the BCG is a vaccine. Its job is to stimulate the immune system when you um, inject it into the shoulder to prevent tuberculosis. It, you know, the point is to sort of educate the immune system so that when it encounters tuberculosis, it can attack it effectively. So when you put it into the bladder, is it the same basic mechanism of action where you're squirting it into the bladder and its job is to sort of ramp up the immune system and so that it will attack anything that doesn't look quite right? And maybe it's going to attack that tumor? I, I, it's, it's, it's considered an immunotherapy. So yeah, it, it, yeah, they don't exactly know how it works. Uh, but yeah, that's the idea. It's, it stimulates some kind of immune response. It makes me um, wonder if there's some correlation between a tuberculosis, uh, you know, <laughs> and, bladder what, cancer? What, and, and the cancer yeah. that's, yeah. See, uh, you could have gone to med school, Mike. You would have got the right, the right idea. Yeah. Art um, school or, or med school. It was such a toss up. <laughs> um, so this is oddly enough, Charlie, we have an audience in Africa. And, uh, and so for our African audience, uh, can we spend a couple minutes talking about the types of bladder cancer endemic to specifically like East Africa and the Middle East? Uh, yeah, yeah, we can. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll caveat it. My, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, my experience is mostly with with what we see here in the U.S., which is predominantly urothelial cell, though we will get other. So there's other types of kind of types of bladder cancer that we can see. So urothelial cell again, that's the most common. That's the that's the you know that's cancer of the lining of the cells that line the bladder. Now that probably the other two most common or that we see is squamous cell, and it's it's diagnosed just the same as, um, as any urothelial cell, any bladder cancer, you know, you know, usually it often causes blood as well. We'll see a, a bladder tumor when we go in there to take a look and then we go and reset it and, and it comes back as squamous cell. 
so you know, squamous cells are different cells. They're not actually found in the bladder. There's, there's some process of kind of transition into these cells and then they kind of will keep producing. But we find squamous cell um, usually in the setting of some type of chronic inflammation. And so um, for us in the U.S., that chronic inflammation is usually for patients that might have chronic catheters. So if, if a patient, you know, some of our patients that have, don't have good bladder function, they have to use a catheter. So a tube that they drain the bladder with either, either indwelling permanently or they're, they're using it to drain themselves whenever they have to empty the bladder. Um, and that can cause inflammation of the bladder. And, and at some point, you know, they can end up getting enough inflammation and inflammation can just lead, wreak havoc to, uh, you know, to form these cancers. And that's often, uh, we see squamous cell cancer. So in other parts of the world, and I think that's kind of where, uh, Paul is alluding uh, certainly in, in some Africa and Middle East, they'll see a lot more squamous cell, uh, carcinoma of the bladder. And that's because, uh, typically because they have, they're exposed to something called the schistosoma, which is kind of a, a parasitic worm that's uh, found in the water that can get into their, you know, essentially it can, where it, where it lives when uh, someone's infected with it, it kind of lives in the lining of the bladder and it causes kind of chronic inflammation. That chronic inflammation uh, can turn into cancer and that cancer uh, tends to be squamous cell. So they, they see a lot more squamous cell. The third type that we sometimes uh, want to see is, is adenocarcinoma. So adenocarcinoma, Paul's more familiar with that because you often see that in the bowel. But uh, we will see some adenocarcinoma and, and where that comes in is, is typically, we'll see that with what's called the eureka. So this is other kind of medical term, Mike, but your bladder, you have something called the urachis where it is in development. The urachis is kind of part of the development of the bladder and, it, and it's it, the remnants of it, if they form cancer, will be adenocarcinoma. So the, the difference like uh, transitional cell or squamous cell or adenos for, they mean a lot, you know, to us as physicians, but what it means to the patient is, yeah. The, these different cell types can behave differently and they can respond to treatments differently. So, yeah. you know, if you're a patient, you're like, well, I got bladder cancer. You're not going to worry. Is it, is it type a type B or type C, but mm -hmm. for your physician, we're going to have to sub subtype it because, you know, a, a transitional cell, it's all the treatments that we've already talked about. The squamous cell I don't know. I'm, I'm going to guess it's a little more sensitive to x-ray therapy than transitional because other squames tend to be, but I don't know. Um, and adeno, maybe there's certain chemo, uh, chemo treatments that it, that work better for it. I don't know, but that's kind of how it works. Yeah. So I would say, you know, for the most part of the, the early treatment is kind of the, um, the same. I mean, you're still, you're still doing kind of primary, endoscopic resection, but yeah, the, the grading, the grading can be a little bit different. There's sometimes put a little bit higher risk. Some of the treatment cell squamous is not really sensitive to chemotherapy. And so it's, you know, often if we find squamous that, you know, we will often, those, those patients will end up needing cystectomies. Oh, okay. So it's not sensitive. All right. Well, to go back to Paul's, nod to listeners in, in Africa, you know, what can they do uh, to kind of try and stay on the early side of things? You know, is, are there, you know, if it's a parasitic thing or something, are there preventative measures that can be taken? Are, are there lifestyle things that can be done? Yeah. Or, you know, is it still you're relying on uh, frequent health checks with, you know, like, like we do here, a yearly health check, uh, what can they do? So, I mean, this is probably the, the most basic. And I think every doctor is going to tell you is you know, the number one way to avoid bladder cancer is to, to not smoke cigarettes or 
you do smoke to quit. Um, I mean, from an American, from, from, a American Western, you know, perspective, that's an, again, that's the highest risk factor. So that, that's kind of the, the, the number one beyond that, you know, there's not much, you know, guys that people that come in and we do sometimes see people with, with no prior smoking history and they come in with bladder cancer, sometimes even the basic bladder cancer. And, it's, you know, some of it's just the luck of the draw. I mean, we all have our own genetic makeup and some people are just, you know, there are certain people, you know, that are, you know, because of their familial genetics are more prone to cancer or, or just they developed uh, some type of mutation that, that puts them at risk. Um, nothing you can do about that. Um, and, you know, so, you know, I, we, we don't really make any terms of kind of lifestyle recommendations, uh, other you know, beyond probably cigarette smoking is number one. Okay. Sounds like it's number one, two, and three. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other questions that I always ask is if you do end up, uh, you know, at, at a late stage, um, one of the things that has come up in the other podcasts that we've done is getting into some kind of a, a, a testing. Uh, what do you call it, Paul? Clinical trial. Clinical trial. That's it. Thank you. Is there anything like that that I would want to maybe keep my eye out for if uh, I find myself with a, a kind of a later stage or more aggressive cancer? You know, like yeah. other targeted therapies or or monoclonal antibodies or anything else that they're they're experimenting with that you know about? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so like everything, and I think in the oncology world, a lot of it's. Uh, there's a lot of new immunotherapies. I mean, that are kind of systemic immunotherapies. We talked about BCG, but there's a lot of, you know, kind of immunotherapies that are being trialed for, for bladder cancer. You know, there's, there's PD-1 inhibitors, which, you know, that's kind of a, a, a cancer, but program death ligand, which I think that's what PD, PD stands for and program death ligand, but these are, these are targeted therapies that uh, that they're using to kind of essentially uh, target the the genes that help kind of I think kind of control kind of the cancer pathways that lead to that. So there's a lot of targeted therapy that that's not that's not standard of care, but that you will see probably in clinical trials. Um, and I think probably when we get farther down the road in the next you know. 10, 15 years, we're going to see more and more of that. And that would probably be like, if I'm on that, in that sort of low grade, you could just sort of um, scrape it off of the lining wall. I'm not going to be in that. But if I'm in that sort of next level where I might be at risk of losing the bladder, it's, you were talking about some, some uh, sort of strategies for help, maybe letting me keep my bladder. Would that be where I would be most likely to look for this? Because if it goes beyond that, you would just pretty much cut it out, right? So, well, most of these, well, yeah, I, to probably, you know, right now, most of these, these more, these immunotherapies, targeted therapies are for late stage metastatic disease where we don't have a, we don't have a good solution for. Uh, right now, the standard of care for muscle invasive bladder cancer is to, to take the bladder out. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe it will, maybe we're heading in that direction where we can, you know, rather than take the bladder out, we can give them some type of medication that will, that will essentially cure the cancer without the requirement to remove the, the bladder. You know, that's, that's probably ultimately the goal. But right now in practice, I think those, those treatments are reserved for, for individuals that have metastatic disease and probably in guys that have had chemotherapy that have, that have re- that have progressed on chemotherapy and then we're, I mean, that's where the trials seem to come in place right now. And if I were interested in, in learning more about any of those, even though they, they may be, you know, years down the road, where might I go looking for that? Well, usually what I'll do is I'll put into the show notes, some links for, for that. You know, I usually reach right to national cancer Institute and, and a few other favorite sites. So, uh, all they have to do, any listener can just uh, log in and, and check out our show notes, and I'll have a few links for that. Excellent. 
Well, all right, Charlie, thank you very, very much for joining us today. Are there any saved rounds, any last discussion points that we want to hit? No, I think it was a great discussion. Appreciate you coming yeah, we really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for listening. And if you have a topic you would like to have us discuss or comments or feedback, please either log on to www.paulbryanroach.com. That's Brian with a Y and Roach like the bug, P-A-U-L-B-R-Y-A-N-R-O-A-C-H.com. And click on the About and Contact page or send them directly to letters at paulbryanroach.com. And once again, thank you, Charlie Reinhardt, MD, and Michael Reardon. Much appreciated. Excellent. Thanks, Paul. All right. Thank you.